Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Ashley. And today we are going to be talking about EMDR therapy. Um, And if you're not familiar with what that is, we'll get into it, but it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it is an evidence-based trauma therapy. And like I said, we'll get into all of it in uh, a minute here. But uh, EMDR therapy was one of the most Googled, like, psychotherapy-related Google searches in 2022. And so I was like, that is really cool that people are interested in the topic. And I myself am an EMDR therapist. And so we thought it would be awesome to bring on another EMDR therapist and coach so that we could dive into the topic and explain what it is, you know, everything, you know, all the questions that people have about it. So we have with us today, Dana Coretta Stein. Like I said, she's an EMDR therapist and coach, but um, we're going to let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit more about her now. So Dana, take it away. Hi, Emily and Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as Emily said, my name is Dana Coretta Stein. I am an EMDR certified therapist and EMDRIA approved consultant. And what that means is I am able to consult with other therapists and give them feedback on their EMDR cases, help them advance that their levels uh, and their skill set as EMDR therapists and just get clarity on their cases so that they can provide the most effective EMDR therapy to their clients. Um, I also do have uh, my Instagram page and TikTok, which is the EMDR coach. Um, And I do a lot on there about spreading the word about EMDR. I actually didn't know that EMDR was the most Googled thing in 2022. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The most therapy related term. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I have a, a private practice here in Scarsdale, New York called Peaceful Living Mental Health Counseling. And we provide trauma informed care as well as EMDR therapy to clients in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Florida. Yeah, so we're busy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, can you tell us about how you became an EMDR therapist and coach? Like what drew you to doing that and how you, you know, became a drama therapist and started your practice? Absolutely. Um, It's always like a little bit of a funny story. So when I started, um, I just finished grad school and started working at a private practice in Connecticut for my colleague and now very close friend, Barbara Heffernan. And she had said to me when I started working with her, she's like, oh, you know, have you ever um, done a training in EMDR therapy? And my response was, what the heck is that? (laughs) I had no idea. It was 2013. Um, It wasn't really well known, at least in my world. They didn't really teach it much in grad school. So I really had no idea, but I was fresh out of grad school and wanted to learn as much as I could. So I found a training and enrolled in it and I got hooked right away. I think it was probably the best thing for me that I was a new therapist because I hadn't gotten really stuck or ingrained in any one modality yet. So I was really open. Um, So I did the training in 2013 Um, And training was a little different back then. It was like over four months and a weekend every month. Um, So it was now I think it's over two weekends. It's a little different. Um, But the more and more I learned about it, you know, started with the basic training and then started working with clients. And then it's just layers when it comes to EMDR and trauma therapy. And you really start seeing how trauma is really at the core of so many difficulties in mental health. And I was hooked. 
and really my passion became how to really provide trauma-informed mental health care because there's so many diagnoses that we, you know, as a society think are incurable. And like there's things that you have for life, like borderline personality disorder, so to speak, air quotes, but um, really those are just rooted in attachment trauma and things like that. So I became really, really passionate about trauma-informed mental health and how to make it accessible to as many people as possible and how to educate others about trauma-informed mental health. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love to hear that we share a very similar perspective on the diagnoses that are out there and how most of them, if not all of them, stem from some sort of trauma, right? Especially a relational trauma. Um, And similar to you, I was in my um, internship in my grad school program when I interned at a trauma uh, intensive uh, outpatient program. And so all the therapists there were doing EMDR. And like, I remember sitting in and, and like, I think she, the therapist was using like a light board in this mm-hmm. session. And I remember being like, what the heck what is, is happening that? right <laughs> now? Like, what is she witchcraft. doing? Witchcraft. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then I was like, yeah, literally witchcraft. I was like, is this legal? Like what is happening right now? This is like really well renowned trauma therapist in Arizona. And I was like, what is she doing? Uh, but no, if I you've never it. seen it, you're like, what? It, yeah. Like, this does not seem right. Like, is this procedure or like, where did they right. get this from? Because it completely defies the norms of traditional psychotherapy, which is talk mm-hmm. therapy for the most right. part. Absolutely. Right. And so my internship actually was like, well, why don't you meet, meet to me and the other end? And why don't you guys go get trained in it? So I was like, well, that's awesome. So I was able to get trained in my internship and then start practicing awesome. it then. And so, yeah, kind of like, like you, I was a new clinician and I was like, oh, wow, this is, well, now I'm a trauma therapist and now I'm an EMDR therapist. Yes. Yeah. Because once you see it work, you can't imagine ever doing anything else. You know, and is it a fit for every single person? No, it's not. I always say to consultees and clients, like, it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, EMDR is for every single issue known to mankind. Like it doesn't cure neurological disorders and things like that. But when you see it work, it's, it almost feels unethical (laughs) to not use anything else when clinically indicated. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because yeah. it's like you have this tool and you know how effective it is, and you're like, right. okay, let's let's do it, right? It's not for everyone, like you said, but you like right. want it to be because you see how effective. And I've had it done as a client myself, and I was yeah. like, okay, that actually is like also what sold me too when I had it done for myself because I was like, yes. well, it's a very different level when you can feel it too. It's one thing to see it work, but when you also feel it, it's mind blowing. Like the best therapists are the ones who know what it's like to be on the other side of the couch. Could not agree more. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dana, could you explain a little bit what the science behind EMDR is specifically? Like if you were to kind of introduce this to a client and tell them how it works within their brain? Yeah. So the it's a great question. And there's not a direct answer to it because the jury's still out on the science behind why it works. But there's two theories, basically, which is, you know, the right and left brain hemisphere theory and the working memory theory. So when we think of how the brain is structurally set up, it's our right brain stores and processes our emotions, our left brain stores our thoughts, more linear thinking and so forth. 
And when we engage in bilateral movement, like eye movements or tapping left and right, walking, anything that involves both sides of the body, we're activating both hemispheres of our brain. So we can use both hemispheres in our brain to process a traumatic experience, which is acknowledging the cognitions and the emotions and sensations, which are the components of memory. The other theory behind it, the working memory theory is when we are able to hold something present in the forefront of our mind, it's like exposure therapy, where you're exposing yourself enough to a traumatic experience or a memory, the more exposure you have to it and hold it in the forefront of your mind, the less disturbing it becomes because you're able to increase your tolerance to that exposure to that memory. And then it doesn't bother you as much because you're a little more used to it. So it taxes the working memory in that way with longer exposure. And it can be built up over time with starting with a small exposure to the memory and then increasing exposure throughout treatment. Okay, gotcha. So usually this treatment is done over a number of sessions, correct? Yes, it could be done over a number of sessions. Um, and it always depends on the issue that someone is coming in for. So there's single incident trauma, which I think any of us who have been in the mental health field for a while, we call those a unicorn. It's very rare to find somebody who has only had one terrible thing happen to them in their entire life um, that's still affecting them present day. Um, and then there's more chronic trauma or complex PTSD that we see as well. That can take um, several sessions. The overarching question we get the most as EMDR therapists is how long does it take? Um, and we always say, well, it depends. <laughs> It really, it, de it depends on your treatment goals. You know, are you looking for comprehensive treatment or really a specific approach for one issue? Um, are you looking for, um, my pregnancy brain is kicking in and I'm totally derailing at the moment, but it'll come back. <laughs> it depends on how frequently you come in for treatment. So with EMDR, it's not traditional talk therapy. So you don't need to come in once a week. You actually can have multiple sessions back to back, which actually can accelerate your progress a little faster versus doing weekly therapy. Mm -hmm. So all those things can really affect how long you're in treatment for, uh, how much work you do outside of the session, practicing your coping skills and your resources really help set up the nervous system to digest the information more quickly. So there's a lot of factors at play that can determine timeliness. Yeah, thank you for that explanation, because I remember back in 2019, a previous therapist that I was seeing did EMDR with me, but she didn't explain it beforehand. Like she didn't tell me what it was, you know, the science behind it or how it, you know, kind of connects to what's going on in the brain. So I couldn't picture it. And then she just brought this light board out. And I'm like, what is going on? Like this, yeah. <laughs> this is real. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely, it's really good to be able to have kind of like, you know, picture how it's working in your brain and how those memories right. are moving around. Absolutely. That's actually the biggest reason why I wrote the book I wrote, which is the EMDR therapy progress journal. Um, and it's a workbook slash informative, like psychoeducative book that is for people who either are in EMDR therapy or are considering it. And the, the first section really covers the how and why it works. 
because I've noticed as a therapist, you know, I've been doing EMDR for 10 years now. And for just the way I work is in order for me to really have a buy-in in something, I need to know about it. I need to like explain to me how and why it works. And then if I can make sense of it, then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in. And that's the biggest reason why I wrote the book, just because there are a lot of people who are like, okay, I'm going to do EMDR therapy and it just kind of gets thrown at them in the session. They don't know what's happening. It's a very body-based therapy as well. So all of a sudden they'll experience symptoms. They don't know why they're freaked out. They might end treatment and think it doesn't work for them because it wasn't explained. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So can, I think that's- Can you tell us a little bit about like what is in the book and how you kind of track your progress within the workbook? Absolutely. So it's broken down into three sections. I have it right here on my desk because it's always there, <laughs> but it's broken down into three main sections. And the part one is what's it all about? So what is EMDR? What is it? How it works? The, my favorite out of part one is the part that's getting to know your nervous system mm -hmm. because there is so much science and I'm a giant nerd. I love science. I think it really like logic can explain so much. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really about the science on why we get traumatized, why we react the way we do in certain situations. So it explains all of that. It explains how memories work in your brain, how to understand if you're traumatized, the trauma and dissociation connection. A lot of individuals who have traumatic experiences in their life also experience dissociation, which is feeling disconnected from yourself or from your surroundings. So all of that is covered in part one, which is like really rich, informative psychoeducation on not just EMDR, but how trauma can affect a person and how it all works. Mm -hmm. And then the incredible. second section, yeah, it's really, you know, I just, I, I love it. Obviously I wrote it, so I'm a little biased, but, <laughs> well, but just sold it was me, after, so. <laughs> you know, you do this for 10 years and you really start to see what would be the most helpful for people who are going through the process. Mm -hmm. So that's all part one. And then part two is all about the client and the like workbooky type section of the workbook. So it's broken down into like the history taking starting to explain like what your triggers are and writing them all down. I really wrote this section because I noticed clients had a hard time making progress or staying on track. So this was a way to really have them be more invested in the process of EMDR instead of like, oh, what are we gonna do today with EMDR? Because like, it's not talk therapy. Some clients would come in of like, oh, let's talk about this. It's like, no, that's not how EMDR works. Like, yeah. let's last week we did your triggers. Now let's connect them to your experiences where it's much more um, sequential where we do things in a certain order. So it has all those worksheets built in. It has exercises to help you get ready for the trauma processing work, which is the phases three, four, five, six of EMDR, which is what people think traditional EMDR is, is the part where you move your eyes. Mm -hmm. But there's all the preparation work that comes beforehand that's still EMDR that most people don't think that it is. So all that preparation stuff is in there. And then all the worksheets to help you stay on track once you start the processing. Once you start working on traumatic memories, 
it, there's reflective exercises to help you really digest what you happened in session, what to expect when you start reprocessing, because it is hard. Like there's a lot of discomfort associated with processing traumatic experiences. So it's really intended to be supportive and helpful as you go through that journey. So all of that's there in part two. And then part three is all this additional information that comes up when people are interested in EMDR. So there's a frequently asked questions page, which are like all the questions I've heard over 10 years as an EMDR therapist that I put answers to, all the ones that we hear all the time. A glossary of terms, which really can break down the language. Because with EMDR, there's a lot of like acronyms and there's a lot of like weird words where people are like, what's that? What's a target? Like, you know, what's, what's safe place? So yeah. it helps break that down. And then recommended readings, additional references, all of that. So that's all included in a, how many pages is it? I think I'd know that I wrote it. <laughs> so all that's in, there's like a note section too in the back, 204 pages of worksheets, text, ways to basically just help you decide if EMDR is right for you and how to get the most out of it. That sounds incredible. It's so nice to have all those notes in one place because I don't mm -hmm. know if either of you have ever experienced in your personal therapeutic journeys where you leave session and maybe you didn't take notes because you're like, oh, I'll remember this. And you leave and you're like, I don't what know just what happened. just happened. Like, I was going to do all this stuff after and I just totally forgot because it, just, it can be so overwhelming. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest reasons why those worksheets are in there is to help you to be really intentional about your healing process, mm -hmm. to help you pay attention to the things that you just went over, the things that just happened in your session. Yeah. So you can get the most out of it. Cause I've definitely had those experiences in therapy. I know I've worked with my therapist of like, the hell did we work on last week? I know it was like really transformative, but now I have no idea what the yeah. hell it was. Like, help me. Right. Yeah. I'm like, thank God you take notes and you have to legally because sometimes like <laughs> I just completely forget. <laughs> thank God we take notes is right. Because if it were left for me to just remember, I think everybody would be screwed. <laughs> Maybe when you have, if you only have one client on your caseload, but obviously right. that's not realistic. Right. So, yes. Yeah. But once you have 20 plus and yeah. kids at home and a staff and trying to remember all this stuff, then it's like, no, there's no more real estate left in my brain. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, you touch on something that I see a lot in my practice as well is that like how hard EMDR can be. Right. Like when you really start getting into those, like the actual process, trauma processing phases, how hard it can be to have like to have to sit with everything that comes up for you and have to work through all of that. And so right. that's why I really appreciate the emphasis on like the um, the early phases. Right. And like getting clients ready and doing right. resourcing and just getting them prepared for what they're about to experience, because while I think that it is something that you kind of have to do to really know what it's like. I think that the the work that you do beforehand is so important in helping people understand because yeah, otherwise, I mean, I've had it happen where people have dropped out of therapy and never yeah. came back after doing, you know, four or five sessions of EMDR. And I was like, darn it. Like, I know it's really hard. And is there something I could have done to prepare them a little bit more for right. this process? Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it is like, I think there's um, for some clients, they don't, Maybe they're not given the information of what's going to happen 
when you start reprocessing and it can be really intense. Like I had a client describe it once, which was, I think, a beautiful way to describe it of you feel really raw and exposed and it can feel that way for a little bit. That's why we always say like timing in your life of when you start EMDR is also important. You know, you don't want to have a reprocessing session and then have a huge meeting at work because you are going to be a little shaken up. So really knowing that what to expect um, is helpful. So, because a lot of people are, once you tell them like, oh, that's part of the process, they're like, oh, it's normal, even though it's uncomfortable. If I know it's normal, then I'm okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like the nightmares, right? People are like, yes. why Why? Is, why am I having nightmares about this? I haven't never had nightmares. I'm like, it's normal. It's part of the process. It's Correct. completely valid, even if it's really uncomfortable and scary to have those. It's part of the process. Right, right. It's actually a sign that it's working. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Which I feel like it's, at least in my experience, really hard for a, a lot of clients to understand that, right? That like, yeah. it's if you're feeling, if you're dreaming about it, right? If it's coming up in your dreams and you're experiencing a lot of discomfort, that is a sign that it's working. I feel like it's hard for people to grasp that. So I'm wondering how, if this happens in your practice, how yeah. do you, how do you work with that? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I always find that people do well with analogies because if we can connect something to someone's frame of reference that makes sense, then they can understand it a little more. So sometimes I'll use something like, Hey, you ever have like a really bad bruise? What happens as it starts to heal, it actually gets darker and bigger and it might spread and then it gets a little lighter and then it goes away. So even though it's you're on the process to healing, your body is healing that injury, it looks worse and it might hurt more, but that's the trajectory of healing. It hurts a little more as it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's one of my most said phrases as a therapist is it gets worse. It's before worse it before it gets better. better. <laughs> yeah. Every therapist has that, like just absolutely. <laughs> Because it's like another one I use all the time is like the path out of hell is laced with fire. Like it's you're if you're just talking about something, talking is not the same as feeling. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to heal, you have to feel it to heal it. And sometimes those feelings are really intense and uncomfortable. But it's better to feel them and release them than keep them buried, which and continue to get triggered for your whole life. You know. It's better to feel it now. One of my best friends always would say about something that was upsetting. She's like, cry now. It's better to cry now than cry later. Because yeah. <laughs> it's going to come up eventually, right? If you don't deal mm-hmm. with it. So if Correct. you can deal with it now, even though it's uncomfortable. Right. And that's the beauty of therapy is that when you have to deal it, deal with it, when you face it, you're not facing it alone. You're facing it with a caring, compassionate therapist especially in trauma therapy, you know, there's a lot of questions out there about, you know, can you do EMDR by yourself at home? And I always say like, don't without getting clearance first, because especially in cases of, you know, attachment trauma, when people get traumatized, it's usually not just from what they experience, but having to experience it alone. So if you're trying to heal it alone too, that's going to actually be re-traumatizing. So when you have a therapist going with you through the process, it's supportive and that helps you really digest that versus going through, you know, you went through the trauma alone. You don't want to go through the recovery alone. Absolutely. Yeah. 
with that said, do you, um, cause I feel like my training wasn't the greatest and it was kind of like, you could start EMDR in like the second time meeting somebody. And so I'm curious if you, cause I typically prefer to spend a little bit of time, like getting to know them. And then of course doing like all their resourcing and whatnot. But I remember hearing them being like, seems like a pretty crazy thing to like mm -hmm. not really know somebody and then just jump in and have them yep. trust you that, you know, when it gets really dark that, you know, it's going to be okay type of thing. So curious about your thoughts. A hundred percent. Yeah. I would never start with somebody in the second session without having a really solid rapport. Mm -hmm. What we do in our practice is if we get any call for an EMDR inquiry, we say that it takes one to three sessions to first even determine if EMDR is appropriate. And then I, what I really think of it as, is, you know, EMDR is eight phases, one through eight. I really have adopted phase zero, like relationship building, because you, the relationship, you know, Dan Siegel, one of my favorite neuropsychologists says, he's like, insight isn't the answer. It's the relationship with the therapist that matters. And so building that relationship is good therapy and it sets the stage for effective EMDR results. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I was going to ask, do, by the time clients usually find you and they know a little bit about what EMDR is before they contact you, do they typically mm -hmm. know what their trauma situation is or what their triggers are? Or is it usually you have to kind of go back and do that digging beforehand? It can really vary. So we have some people who call, you know, I've heard about EMDR, I wanna see if it can help me. They're not really sure what their triggers are. They just know what their symptoms are. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some people who call and they think they know what their traumas are. And then when you do things like the float back and stuff, they're like, whoa, I did not think this was connected. Um, that's the cool thing about EMDR. I say it's like a Tarantino film. You start here and then you go back to the beginning. <laughs> right. So, um, and then we have people who were maybe referred by other therapists um, who think EMDR may be a good fit for them. And, you know, we are then evaluating if that is in fact the case or if it's not indicated. Um, some people come in like ready. They've done all the readiness work. They've, um, they're very self-aware. They know everything about EMDR and they're more ready to go. So it really can range in the type of referrals that we see. And does it really, I've always been curious about this as a non-therapist myself. Um, I know there's definitely like a range of the types of traumas, you know, big T trauma or little T trauma. You can use EMDR for any of them. It doesn't matter where it's at on the spectrum. Yes, it doesn't matter where it's at on the spectrum. What's more important is, as an EMDR therapist, is creating an appropriate treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So somebody who's may, maybe like more recently trained or isn't very experienced yet, like we all have to get our experience as EMDR therapists, may not be able to really conceptualize how to set up a treatment plan for complex PTSD. That might take additional training. Um, and then there's different types of EMDR. There's standard protocol, which is more for your uh, more things like car accident, sexual assault, these big T traumas that people more think of when they hear of PTSD. Um, but then there's attachment focused EMDR, 
which is wildly successful, but kind of different from the standard. And then there's the early trauma EMDR protocol, which is completely different from the standard protocol, but very effective. Um, but that's more for individuals who have developmental trauma, things that maybe happened to them before the age of three, before they had the ability to remember, maybe it was gestational trauma, birth trauma. So there's EMDR can be applied in a variety of scenarios, but that's why specialties within EMDR are so important mm -hmm. to really, when you interview an EMDR therapist, make sure that just because they do EMDR might not mean that they can help you with your specific situation. So getting more information, giving them more on like what you're really looking for, what you need help with to see if they're the right fit. Mm -hmm. Which I feel yeah. like was why that phase zero that you mentioned, relation building is so important because yeah, like you might not, like that therapist might not be able to help you with your specific needs or, you know, right. you may not be a good fit with that therapist just you know, for other reasons. And so, yeah, I really like, I'm going to start using that phase zero because I really like that yeah. in terms of um, building that relationship with clients, which we know is important for any type of work, but I think especially for EMDR and just how intense it can be. Absolutely. It can be really intense. And one thing I'm very passionate about is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? just how we view EMDR therapy. There's a lot of people, you know, I see comments all the time and DMs on my Instagram about what well, EMDR was horrible, it didn't work for me. And it's really that they there wasn't that experience they had about was this the right therapist or was it, um, was it explained to me first how it works? You know, for example, there's like EMDR and eating disorders, which is very different. So, like you need someone who specializes in that versus for a sexual assault or first responders. So that's the integrity of EMDR, something I'm really passionate about to make sure that how it's perceived is something that can be helpful and not harmful. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I feel like I've, I've even had clients come to me and tell me that they've done EMDR before and it was terrible experience, but they, they want right. to try again because they know it can work, but they just had right. such a hor horrible experience. So I appreciate your passion for that because yeah, yeah, like as a, you know, therapist who doesn't know everything about EMDR and is really, really hoping to get um, to go through my certification soon, now that I'm fully licensed, I'm excited to learn more about like just EMDR in general and all the different types of EMDR. Um, yeah. And so that brings me to another question. Is that like your past? Is that why you became a um, EMDR cons console? Consult? Consultant. Consultant. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Say more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's because it's something I'm so passionate about. And I don't know, I never thought of myself as like enjoying like a teaching kind of setup, but I do. Um, I love because I remember what it felt like when I first started as an EMDR therapist and how valuable my consultants were to me. Like nobody feels confident out of the gate. And if they are, it's also a little bit of a red flag. Like if you're too confident, <laughs> that means you're probably gonna make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember how helpful that was for me. And in order for EMDR to really become integrated in your daily practice, consultation is a key component of that. So I love seeing other therapists, other EMDR therapists, seeing them grow and get more and more confident. And it's, it's beautiful. So I love being able to not just help clients, but I feel like as I help therapists, 
you know, I can help five clients, but if I help five therapists who also have five clients, it really expands on the amount of people that can really get quality care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's such a good way to put it is that like, yeah, you help them be more confident in their practice, which then like, it's kind of like a web, right? Like you Exactly. It's like a trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're yeah. so right that like when you first do EM, when you first get trained in it, even after the second weekend, it was like, okay, so now I'm just supposed to go and do EMDR with clients. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the cool thing about EMDR is I tell my consultees all the time, it's very forgiving. You know, we all make mistakes. I've made a ton of them throughout the 10 years of me doing this, but it's about like being able to talk about those mistakes with not just a consultant, but with peers, like when we do group consultation of also normalizing the mistakes that we make and learning how that you could still move past them and the person can still get great results. Like we can make a misstep in EMDR and sometimes the training makes it sound like, oh, you said this instead. Now your patient's dead. Like it feels terrifying when that doesn't happen in session. Like it's actually quite forgiving and to be able to help people through that and bring them a sense of ease, it helps them better help their client. Mm -hmm. And I imagine even when you're working one-on-one with the client, that probably comes a lot down to like the trust that you guys have and the client has with you as well to know that even if maybe a session didn't go quite the way they planned that you are able to come back in the future and you are able to keep going with the practice. So could you talk a little bit um, about your experiences with, you know, when it doesn't go as planned with a client or they're having a really difficult time and how to kind of coach them through that to keep returning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the funny thing is with EMDR, and we say all the time, is that as a therapist, I, I don't know where this is going to go either. But I'm willing to go, we can both go into the unknown together. Mm-hmm. And when things do get really uncomfortable, that's where, like as Emily, as you were saying, where the resourcing, the preparation work in phase two of EMDR is so important. So if stuff does get really, really difficult, we always make sure we look at the clock in session, make sure we have enough time to stabilize a client before we open the door and send them back out into the world. Mm-hmm. And then let them know, like my clients know, I'm like, if something becomes really, really difficult, like you, these are the resources that you have. You can reach out to us. We have our secure platform where our patients can contact us and you don't have to go through it alone. Mm-hmm. So just letting them know like, yes, it will get difficult, But if it does, these are the tools. This is what phase two is all about. These are the tools that we created when that happens. So we have like a safety net. Mm -hmm. So also from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're providing a lot of those coping skills that they can use outside of session as well to be able to get through the difficult feelings. Correct. Because we always say like the goal is to not have uncomfortable feelings. That's not real life. We're trying to build resiliency in clients. So it's not, oh, can you just never experience a distressing emotion, but how do I learn how to tolerate them? So I'm gonna experience stress in my day to day. Like if you're alive, you're gonna be stressed. Mm -hmm. But how do I learn how to increase my ability to tolerate that stress and stay present even in the face of those distressing experiences and emotions? 
something something I always say to clients is like, well, we can't erase memories, right? We can't erase the things that you've been through. But what if there was a way that we could um, help you cope with those things better, help you handle them? Not because you're never going to think about those things again or feel those emotions again, but be able to handle them and not have it affect you every day like it or, you know, however much it does now. Right. Exactly. We always say we can't go back and change the past, but we can change how the past affects our present and our future. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of EMDR therapy is to how to get this past to stop affecting your present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then you can have a more hopeful future. So well said. (laughs) (laughs) And do you ever find, I'm just curious if there is like an ideal candidate for EMDR and on the opposite side of that, maybe somebody that you talk to a couple of times in that phase zero and be like, maybe this isn't quite the right fit of trauma therapy for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So usually someone who I always like to give like the little extra piece of, because EMDR therapy is eight phases and we think of who's an appropriate fit for phase four for the actual processing of trauma work versus who might need more the preparation work. Mm -hmm. So there are people who come in who individuals who maybe have no ability to regulate their emotions, um, no ability to tolerate stress, uh, maybe engaging in a lot of addictive behaviors, substance abuse, alcohol, um, things like that don't have a solid support system. Those individuals are not ready for phase four of EMDR. Mm-hmm. Because in order to have readiness for reprocessing, you do have to be able to have the ability to tolerate just enough of stress. If you could tolerate it perfectly, you wouldn't need EMDR, but you need to be able to tolerate it just enough to do the work. You have to be able to regulate your emotions just enough so that you can notice them without getting hijacked by them. Mm -hmm. Versus someone who comes in and maybe they have completed like a bunch of DBT therapy in the past, which is that emotion regulation, interpersonal skills, all of that. Um, It's a good time in their life. There's no major stressors going on right now. So they have space in their life to do that trauma work then I would say, yes, they're more likely a candidate for to be closer to be ready for phase four of EMDR reprocessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's individuals where it's not a good fit at all, where someone who's like, oh, uh, I have a neurological disorder. I want EMDR for that. EMDR is not going to fix that. You know, EMDR doesn't cure bipolar disorder, disorder, for example. It can help alleviate stress related to maybe things that you did when you were manic that you feel shame about, but it's not going to make your bipolar go away. Mm-hmm. So I think people right. understanding what it's, when it's indicated, what it could be used for, but it's not, it doesn't cure every single thing possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, cause I, um, I've had, you know, clients with bipolar disorder work on the trauma that maybe, you know, created or helped lead to the bipolar. Right. That and tripped. Help, yes. Yes. Help yes. them work through that trauma. But of course, they still they still take their medication for bipolar every day and they still deal with that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You know, we do see there's bipolar is one of the most overdiagnosed 
diagnoses. You know, there are plenty of people I've seen in my career that were diagnosed bipolar that actually had complex PTSD. And we treat the trauma and then, oh my God, your bipolar symptoms go away. Maybe you weren't bipolar in the first place. Um, It's not funny, but it's just like, you see that so much, right? As a trauma therapist, all these people come in with all these diagnoses, then you start doing the trauma therapy and you're like, do you really have that? Or Yes. And that's where we see like the, um, the, where the trauma informed model is so appropriate because when we can look at not what's quote unquote wrong with you, but what happened to you, we can really understand maybe why your nervous system developed in a way that makes you look more manic and depressed versus somebody who, you know, is seemingly fine. It's more about what happened to them that shaped the development of their nervous system. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of misdiagnoses out there. You know, I'm sure we've all seen people who are diagnosed schizophrenic when it was actually DID. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of dissociation, dissociative amnesia, you know, that quote unquote multiple personality disorder, even though it's not called that anymore, but yeah. 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 Absolutely. I feel like as trauma therapists, we see that the most. <laughs> yes. Yes. And sometimes I have to check myself to stay in my lane. You know, my mom laughs at me sometimes. She's like, okay, Dana, not everything is trauma. I'm like, no, you're right. There are things that I will look at it through that lens, but maybe there is something neurological going on. So it's always good to check ourselves (laughs) and make sure. Um, But there's ways to, to like second opinion. Am I seeing this the right way? Getting consultation from another or supervision is always helpful because as specialists, we see things through one lens versus another specialist. We'll see it this way. And then we have to figure out like where, how are we seeing it through the eyes of the client mm-hmm. to give Absolutely. them the most accurate depiction of their experience. Absolutely. Especially like this is, this was in my experience when I first became a trauma therapist. And then when I first became an eating disorder therapist, I'd be like, every single thing is trauma. Every, everybody has an eating disorder. Like I was just like seeing it because like you said, yes. when you're in those lens, you kind of see it that way. So I think, yeah, the, it just emphasizes the need and the, um, the gratitude, right. For consultations and supervision right. that you can go and be like, okay, wait, can I talk to you about this and see like, okay, what do you think type of thing? Cause I know I have these, I have my trauma and my eating disorder lens on. Yes. And so that's how I yep. see a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's good to always remind ourselves like that's our lens. Is there another lens that might cast a different view on this? Absolutely. And then when we can look at it that way, we can, it's one of the reasons why I like EMDR is it does really have us look at the whole person and not just you know, hyper-focused, you know, when we do intakes here in our practice, we look at everything of what's going on with someone nutritionally, what's going on with them in their supportive environment, family history, things like that, because that all contributes to a person's present day experience, you know, because sometimes you have clients who like panic attacks and it's really because they have a food allergy and you remove that. And then all of a sudden, like their nervous system gets more dysregulated and the panic attacks get better. So it helps to look at the whole person. Absolutely. We don't want to like hyper focus on just their experiences, but what are like the whole, their whole life mm-hmm. to create a really good treatment plan. Mm-hmm. We call it the clinical landscape. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned at the beginning that you work with clients in multiple states. So is there a 
benefit or disadvantage to doing EMDR virtually versus in person? Or can it really be done, you know, whatever modality? Yeah, it can be done like just as successfully virtually as it can be done in person. That being said, different clients have different needs. Some people really do just feel safer in the physical presence of somebody mm-hmm. versus some people feel safer having a little disconnect via the computer. Um, so it really depends on what the client's needs are that make them feel safe. The other thing that's important too is, you know, when we do virtual therapy, just as we could see now through this you know, platform we're using, we usually see, can see people from the chest up. Mm-hmm. You know, EMDR is a whole, you know, body therapy. And a lot of times there are things maybe happening chest down that we might not be able to see when someone's reprocessing, like a twitching foot or like difficulty sitting still, like any type of something that will um, demonstrate some sympathetic nervous system activation. So that's something that if we are doing virtual, we'll say to clients, you know, we might have them, you know, zoom out a little bit to see more of their body. Or we might say, you know, is there another part of you that's moving that I can't see? Because let's say if we're processing an experience that someone's leg is twitching, that's a sign that there's something that's trying to get released. So if I could see that in my office, I'll say, is there something that your leg wants to do right now? You might be like, I want to run. Imagine that. Imagine running. And imagination has the same effect on the brain as if it's actually happening. And that helps them get that release that they need to process that experience. So if we're doing virtual, we just want to be aware that there might be things going on body-wise that we can't see. So we might need to create a, a, you know, a conversation with the clients of, let me know if there's something going on with you that I can't see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pretty cool, yeah. though, that we can do EMDR virtually and it can yes. have the same effect. I remember when the pandemic happened, calling um, my supervisor and being like, can we even do this? Like, is this even like ethical to continue to do this um, virtually? And obviously, you know, here we are three years later and seeing right. that yeah, it can be just as effective as being in person, just like you said, really depends on the client's needs and then making sure, right. like you said, because it's a whole body treatment that we're, you know, noticing those things as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was at a little bit of an advantage when the pandemic happened because I was actually doing it virtually before the pandemic okay so i had a little foot ahead in the game where i was like okay i've already got a system in place i know how to do this um but it was kind of fun during the pandemic uh to help other therapists navigate how to do it because i was like okay here's the platform this is how we do it blah 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 blah. and it was kind of fun to help other people set that up well i'm sure i freaked out so i'm glad that you had yeah (laughs) a million others you weren't alone there don't worry Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you, you, other people had you to help them through that. And it's so clear how passionate you are about EMDR and helping clients and therapists alike. Um, and I feel like you had, you know, so much good information for us today. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with about EMDR? Hmm, that's a really good question. I know it's a broad um, question. Don't mean to put you on the yeah. spot, but <laughs> my biggest thing is when it comes to like learning more about EMDR therapy, like the best consumer is an educated consumer. So don't be afraid to educate yourself. And I'm a very big proponent of clients 
like interview therapists. You don't have to see the first person you meet. That's okay. Like they, a lot of clients feel like oh, I have to see this person because I met with them once. No, you don't. You don't owe anything to anyone. Interview people. Find the right person that you click with. That matters. Mm-hmm. Like especially people pleasers who really just like oh well I saw this person once and I feel bad I have to keep seeing them. No, you don't. Find somebody who you want to see. Like it's your healing journey. It's your path. Do what feels good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that. Like we've been saying, that relationship is so important, right? So if it, you already know from the first, um, I was going to say first episode, I'm in podcast mode, <laughs> <laughs> the first session that it's not a good fit, then yeah, it's probably not going to get any better. I mean, it could, but right. probably not if you already know. So yeah, that relationship is such a such a key component to therapy and then especially right. EMDR therapy, as we've been saying. Right. Absolutely. Relationship helps you heal. It absolutely does. I would say we get hurt in relationships, right? And so we also yep. heal in relationships. I just said that in my group earlier this morning. So we're on the same page. I yeah. love that. I love that. Yeah. Yes. I feel like we have a lot of the same um, views when it comes to mental health. And so, yeah, really, I love it. We're in good company. I know. Really, really appreciate you coming on and taking time, thank especially you. in your. Thank you for having me. Yeah, especially in your third trimester when I know you're probably just like. <laughs> getting wanting to get to the end there so i'm just surprised that my brain was functioning for this whole interview because i was a little nervous that it wasn't gonna work yeah david and i are taking naps after this (laughs) yes yes. we're like seven eight months pregnant it's nap time yes (laughs) exactly you guys are like our clients after an emdr session a lot of my clients are like i need a nap and i'm like Go do it if you can. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. We tell our clients that all the time, like nothing, no heavy lifting after a processing session. Go home and rest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Dana. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for having me on. Thanks, Dana.